Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam, here as always with Andy, and Andy, before we get started, I have to tell you something really weird just happened to me that Do I, tell. I feel like I have to confide in somebody. I am a snacker, and so I, I, I've been trying to eat healthy lately, but I, I couldn't help myself. I went shopping without the wife. I got one of my... I guess one of my guilty pleasure snacks, and that's Flaming Hot Cheetos. Nice. And I know that probably makes me sound like a like a child, but hey, I'm still I'm still here for Flaming Hot Cheetos. And I just started eating some, and dude, there was a piece or two that was straight up soggy. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Get a lawyer, sue Cheetos. It's terrorism. It's so gross. Like I, I'm about to join ranks with the the lady who sued McDonald's. Like. My plight is going to be turned into some punchline. You know what? You know what? I have to say this. That story has been repeated since we were children, and I finally dug into it, and that is straight-up propaganda by large corporate America to keep you from suing them. That poor woman has been dragged for no reason. So the real details of that story are that McDonald's at the time kept their coffee at over 300 degrees so that it would burn your hand through the cup. And she spilled it on herself and got third-degree burns all over her thighs. She sued them for the cost of skin grafts that she needed. She needed skin grafts because that's how hot this coffee was. And the judge was so horrified by how McDonald's had, had done horrible shit that he then awarded her a ton of money, which she turned down and took just the amount of money she needed for the medical bills. That got spun into this, like, tale of, like, oh, my God, can you believe people just willy-nilly with the suing? And I remember being in ninth grade health class, and we watched it. This is how crazy Texas public school is. We watched a video entitled (laughs) Frivolous Lawsuits, and it was all about how, like, um, corporate America is under attack by evil litigants who seek to get theirs by suing them, even though we live in a time of less... Fewer lawsuits than at any other time in American history, and even fewer successful ones. So I just need, I just wanted to put it out there. The old woman who McDonald's handed lava to, and then she had to get skin grafts for, (laughs) I will accept no slander towards her. I hope your skin's okay, lady. I hope those skin grafts took and you're all right. That was fucked up by McDonald's. Fuck McDonald's. And fuck Ray Kroc. And and shouts out to lady. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Can you imagine? And like... To do the right thing, like, dude, I'm telling you what, if a judge tells me I can have 20 million bucks, I ain't turning it down out of the goodness of my heart, all right? So... No kidding. She's a good person, and she has become a punching a punching bag for all that is wrong with the legal system, and it sucks, because she seems like she just wanted a cup of coffee and they handed her uranium. <laughs> like, three, 300 Lord. degrees, dude? Like, you can't even drink that, because their whole thing was they were keeping it so hot... So that it would stay, like, they could keep it out, sitting out there in the drive through window for, like, hours and hours without it getting cold, and they wouldn't have to make a new pot. It, like, yeah. saved them money, and then harmed someone, and they got caught with their can in the cookie jar, and, like, ugh. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that a corporation, like, was doing things to cut corners so that they could cut costs and there was repercussions? <sighs> it's hard to believe that someone would just go out there and do that, just put profits before human lives, but... I think we should all take a... Do people know about I, that? It, we, need to, we need to let people know that this is happening, you know, I, that corporations I was thinking that. about it while I was sitting in the Sackler Wing at the Museum of Modern Art, and I thought to myself, why can't more of our... Shouts out George Rockwell Why Smith. can't more of our entrepreneurs be like the Sackler family, who just saw that there was a, a pandemic of pain in this country, and they said, not on our watch. 
everyone gets Oxycontin. That was the earliest George Rockall Schmidt reference we've had. Today. Absolutely. Yeah, normally we would give, we give it a good like hour before we throw out a <laughs> a JRS but or a GRS reference, but shout out to George. He continues to kill it. Can, and continues to get free ads on the show. Well, hey, if you're new and uh, you like what you hear throughout this episode, please like and subscribe and give us a follow and a rating and all that good stuff. We really appreciate it. And as always, tell two friends. Um, today we're talking about Euphoria, which is a show that I did not think going into 2022 that I would be interested in watching. But not only was I interested in watching it, but I loved yeah. it. And I have, uh, I have basically binge-watched it. I think my wife was a little bit surprised and shocked when she found out that i watched the entire like season one and season two in about four days which for me is a lot of viewing for sure um probably for most like functioning humans it's a lot of viewing, 16 but, hours in four yeah, days less, i mean man. like you're talking about like a solid part-time job worth four of hours, four hours a day <laughs> worth of, uh, of yeah. viewing yeah i probably watched like one episode in the morning and then like you know have enough free time on your hands in the evening you can crank a few hours Definitely. you know so it's doable it's not it's not as bad as when i watched Six seasons of How I Met Your Mother during finals week. Yeah, dude, college. I've I've mowed that's, through. That's an all time achievement. At the very beginning of the pandemic, I did like all of The Sopranos in like two weeks. It, it, that that was that's pretty like eight t- hours that's a day. <laughs> like, good lord. Well, we are degenerates. So, uh, Euphoria, man, you did you watch um, season one prior to this, or did you also kind of? relatively speaking been watched both seasons i i binge watched season one and then watched season two as it came out uh got it okay it's it's a show that i learned it's the first time i've ever encountered a show like this i learned about it via like memes like i saw like posts about it mostly in jest like people were kind of i don't even want to use the term making fun of but like kind of making light of the uh, kind of over the top nature of this show as it relates to other high school dramas. Like everyone on the show's super hot. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the show's hypersexual. Everyone on the show is like an absurdly bad kid and like super broken person. And there's lots of like memes that go around about it that are kind of based around the idea of just like if any of these children in real life would just be like the worst kid in school, like by a significant margin. Yeah. Which. If you're viewing the show from the outside, it does seem totally patently ridiculous that any of these people exist. And then, but once you see it in the context, I found that I really enjoyed it. Mostly, I think that this show would suck without its stylistic elements. Like it heavily leans on its artistic capabilities as a as an art to to carry the show. I think beyond not that it's bad yeah. in in the typical show fashion, but if it was shot and scored and everything built like a standard sitcom, it wouldn't be in any better than Dawson's Creek. But it is just like an incredible endeavor around like cinematography, lighting, music. It's also for me, this is probably going to be our like most personal episode. The main character of this series, Rue, kind of like the framing device of this show is built around her battle with opiate epi- the opiate epidemic and her personal opiate addiction um this mm-hmm. september will mark uh 10 years clean from opiates for myself uh you know it was september of 2012 that you know i was i was deep into my own oxycontin heroin adventure and so to see that uh i will say this is probably the most accurate and 
well-done depiction of opiate addiction ever put to film, especially the modern version of it. There's a lot of older movies about heroin and stuff like that, but the modern rendition of that and the pathway that I think is most familiar, the characters you encounter when you're in that world, that hasn't been done super well, uh, despite it being like a, a true pandemic in our society. It has affected, I think, pretty much everyone in America either know someone or is like two degrees separated from someone who's been heavily impacted by the opiate epidemic. And so I think that it this does it justice, which I think is an important part of the show and makes it culturally important in some ways too. Yeah, you, you talk a little bit about previous pieces that have touched this. On, one we talked about on this pod before is Trainspotting mm-hmm. with Ewan McGregor. Um, I'm just curious from your own experience, like kind of compare the two. Like, Sure. Is, I mean, you just said that one, you just said Euphoria, especially Rue's character, does maybe a better job, but I'm, I'm curious as to like the strengths and weaknesses between the betrayals, I guess, or the portrayals. Trainspotting's amazing. It's just a heroin tale of a different time. Uh, until like the 2000s, heroin was very much like a dirty back alley blue collar drug that was done by jazz musicians and just like the, it was like the hardest drug. I mean, maybe some rock stars got into it. You know, you'd hear about Nikki Six doing heroin it was kind of the last drug so like if you had done all the other drugs you might do heroin but kind of upper middle class exposure to opiates in general didn't really start until the pain pill epidemic of the early 21st century and so uh what you see in train spotting is very much a they they got into heroin like that's where they started not started but that's like they yeah. didn't nothing led them into heroin specifically we deal with this especially in populations that i think up until the opiate epidemic, probably thought of drug addiction as a lower class issue. The suburbs were not uh, that exposed to large scale drug addiction. Par- a lot of parents, like they had no idea that you know they didn't do drugs. No one they knew did drugs, and then suddenly their kid was addicted to oxycotton. Like that was a very as a, a shattering yeah. thing. So the experience of Rue and Rue's mom, um, while traumatic, is is not uncommon, unfortunately, and so. The industry that exists around that of rehabs, and we see that in the second season of like trying to get a bed and like trying to figure out like okay, you got to go back because the the success rate of rehabilitation is so low. And I think what they do do a really great job of showing is that while drug addiction is a chemical issue, like someone exposed to heroin will form a physical dependency on it. Often, true addiction is a symptom of an underlying brokenness, a a pain that you're trying to address or numb out with drugs. And that is certainly what we see Ruth's character go through with the death of her father. And she kind of traverses all of these big, I mean, any addict that's watched this show, I can guarantee you, is just like, holy shit, dude. Like, they they really do show you, like, the getting, all the getting caught with drug scenes are, could have been filmed in various living rooms across this country. All of the, um... Dude, the, the ones that really fucked me up were the the withdrawal scenes. They depict withdrawal so accurately and so agonizingly that I felt uncomfortable watching it. Just from like my my body's memories of going through withdrawal from, from heroin. It's yeah. hard to I I I think it's hard to get someone to understand what kind of hell that is. And I think that they do a good job of showing just like the not only the physical illness, but just like the anxiety, the pressing need to get, you'll do anything to, to get rid of this. Like yeah. your brain is on fire. And uh, 
unfortunately, that is the big moment for a lot of addicts is they've been doing pills and suddenly there there is no pills, which we see her go through. This exact same thing happened to me. Either you don't have the money for pills, there are no pills available, and someone says, oh, well, either there's heroin available or you can shoot this other thing and it'll it'll make you well. And in that moment, you're so weak and so sick and so desiring for relief that you're just willing to you, you make a bargain with yourself you're like okay just this one time right. i'll do x and for many people that's it they never come back and dude, yeah. seeing seeing the um lori the drug dealer who kind of puts on this mask of being a nice person she's very like calm she doesn't like look like what you think of. she's like i don't get angry exactly I, I never get angry and she doesn't like come across as being like a, a bloodthirsty drug dealer but dude then you see her go to that bag and open up the bag and there is pills in there and she takes out yeah. the morphine iv solution anyway because she knows two things she does one you got to shoot this and once you take the needle you're owned that person owns you and two Morphine is super short acting, meaning that like this isn't going to get Rue well for long enough for her to like go make other arrangements. Like she's going to be sick again in six, eight hours. And her plan, obviously, that we see is to make her be a prostitute, like to to pay off this debt. It's it's horrible. And that that is like the true face of drug addiction is like exploitation on a level. that's hard for one human to understand about another until you're in that position. Your drug dealer seems like your friend until they're not. Yeah, man, that scene with, with Lori where she goes back to see Lori. So first of all, I think they introduce Lori for the first time in this season. They correct? do. Yeah. They end they up go, at her that, house and it's the very beginning of the season. They, they like, have to strip down and all that. Yeah, was that season two or season one? I want to say it's at the very beginning of season one. They're like waiting out in the car with the, the chick that ends up living yes. at Fez's house and like, yeah. Oh, it's so shitty. They they ha- she has like the cr- she has crazy dudes that work for her, but she maintains a very calm exterior. And the crazy dudes are the ones that are like, get naked. I want to see everything. He takes her back to the shower. Like, oh, dude. So I didn't realize how big of a scene the second time, or I guess the third time she sees Lori when she, when when Rue is going through withdrawals and she has no one to turn to. She goes back to Lori admitting that she doesn't have the cash that she promised that she would flip right yeah and having Um, robbed one of her like robbed someone's house of like valuables like that's the point where she's at she's showing up with like pawn shop shit being like i've got stuff out of someone's bathroom please make me okay yeah i had to go re-watch that scene because i was candidly i wasn't paying as much attention but then when i went back and re-watched it you realize all the different subtleties in that scene and i think that scene is one of the best scenes of the season showing the restraint of the writer of like by the way the writer and the director are the same person um sam levinson he does such a good job because and this is kind of a benefit when you have a writer and director that are are one and the same is that he's able to like have his writing be the second hand of his directing and it's not like they're the two aren't have to overlap each other he's able to say only what needs to be said and then show the rest and i think that scene shows that better than any one of them because like i'm not sure if laurie ever says explicitly like i'm gonna sell you into prostitution but there's a lot of subtleties that are done incredibly well like there's one scene where i don't know if you caught this but there's a while rue rue is sitting there there's like a scratching at the door there's a locked door and they're scratching and it shows a door that has the bolt lock on it and 
at first you're thinking that maybe it's like the surrealism of the show, which they, they use a lot of surrealism and maybe that it's like, it's showing that the drugs are calling to Rue because there's also a locked door that has uh that has, that's a closet that has a bunch of drugs in it. But the door that they're showing that has scratches coming from it is a different door. So there very well could be another Rue that is tr- like not literally another Rue, obviously. Again, I point to like, this is a very surrealist show, uh, but like there could be another young girl that is actually physically locked in Lori's apartment going through the same thing that Rue is. And then, after Rue comes out of it the next morning, she is literally locked in this apartment. And then they they, sh- they use this bird in a cage very well to like kind of show the predicament that Rue's in. Like there's even a scene or a shot, if you will, where when Laurie is getting the drug ready and like putting it into Rue and like putting the, the needle into Rue, giving her the morphine, it cuts to the bird and the bird's feathers kind of like raise up as if the, as if the bird in the cage is the one getting yeah. injected. Like, it's super subtle and super well done. Well, and even when she sells Rue or fronts Rue the briefcase full of drugs, and originally she goes, "If I don't get this back, I'm going to sell you to some very bad people that will do very that's bad things." That's what it things. is. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, I had forgot if it was if it, if they had said that explicitly. Or which, not, which, like, you kind of view that as just like you know, crazy talk from this lady. You don't even know if we're going to come back this eventually but then obviously it comes back around yeah it it gets so hectic and then obviously in the meantime like the fez situation is boiling up to its climax at the end of season two and the jake jake's dad uh maddie cassie situation has just gotten so out of nate yes nate sorry okay not jake yeah Um, dude Oh my gosh. There's a lot of good little plot lines going on. Before we leave Laurie, uh, real quick, I think uh, that is going to be, that's the Damocles sword. I think that is the, that is what is hanging over everything right now. Like that is going to end up being the, maybe not like main antagonist, but that is going to be like, they did not just leave her behind. I think she's going to be a huge part moving forward of this show and probably Rue's biggest threat, her and Elliot. Well, and what they're, what they're capturing really well is that like when young people that are like, not really fully formed adults yet get involved in crime there's this weird thing that happens where like they have this bizarre desire to like not let their parents find out about it like because in real life like if this was actually happening like people like rue etc if they were grown adults that were in this situation they were a drug addict and stuff they could go to the police but children feel like the the real consequences aren't jail it's my mom will find out and be super pissed. I'm going to lose my phone. Yeah, exactly. I can't see my friend anymore. Yeah, there's a weird... that, that And that is very real. Like, there's a very weird thing where, like, people will dig themselves into this, like, eternal grave of being around and involved in situations they shouldn't be because they don't want those set of consequences rather than the much worse set of consequences that will come from being involved in these really sketchy situations. Um, and I think probably what they're highlighting is that those situations have only increased in number as the, again, the specter of addiction has become so much more commonplace in, uh, you know, the 16 to 20 American high school demographic of people. Back in the day, like, it was very uncommon for someone to be, like, a debilitating drug addict. Even in, like, the crack epidemic, there wasn't that many 15-year-olds doing crack cocaine. But, especially in places like Florida, things like that, during the height of the pill mill epidemic, there was 
it was very common to hear that it was much easier for high school kids to get their hands on painkillers than it was to get their hands on booze. And so, and weed, because weed was a scheduled yep. narcotic as well. And so you're, you, you saw this interaction between crime and young children so much more than you ever did previously. And it created these, like, and, and even to the degree of, like, Fez is another good example of this. Like, the idea of, like, every high school has always had, like, the guy that sells weed and maybe even a guy that sells coke. But painkillers are what created, like, 18-year-old kingpins like guys making millions of dollars or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars whatever you need to be considered ridiculously wealthy when you're 17 or whatever so very bizarre world that has been created as a trickle-down effect of of the you know opioid epidemic and we it is highlighted a lot by this show i think they should they they did a really great job showing like the really dark grungy underside of that world this season whereas last season season one had some of those elements but it was almost like the not the good side but like definitely the more fun side like she's she's relapsing but like generally they're like going to a lot more parties and like crazy stuff's happening she's she's like like having sex and getting high and it and it it focuses more on the high than the withdrawals exactly exactly and so it's almost like you know godfather one versus godfather three like this is the sexy part is the doing the drugs and banging people and like, you know, Oh, this is the almost the romantic side of being a drug addict. This just like uh, tragic flame burning twice as long, twice as bright for half as long. Like, yeah, I'm a tragic, you know, soon to be dead teenager, just in love with people and myself and sex and drugs. And you don't ever see because you're so short sighted as a teenager. And that's something that I have, uh, realized about this show that it does really well is that I think a lot of the like criticism of it as being this like ridiculous over the top show comes from the fact that people maybe are not looking at it and I did the same thing it's almost written from the perspective of teenagers and people forget that when you are a teenager life does feel like that like every rumor is mm-hmm. real you don't have anything to compare anything to you don't have any real tragedy to like offset your experience of heartbreak in the hallway so like that is you know hamlet level drama to you um right and so euphoria does feel like it carries this like crazy hyper hormonal weight to it and i think that's very purposeful Which is accurate. yeah that's how life is when you're when you're a junior in high school so it's crazy. there's a scene where uh cassie and so in the season when cassie and nate hook up for the first time there's a scene where Cassie passes Nate in the hallway and kind of smiles at him and he kind of just walks past and the camera is kind of it's following from Cassie from behind and then so when Nate walks past Cassie turns kind of towards the camera and you can see her reaction and it's one of like you can see the smile drop from her face and turn into like one of horror as if she just saw somebody get shot like it's horrible and then also it follows cassie throughout the day just like being in a funk the rest of the day and dude if that isn't one of the most realistic interact like back in high school if you were waiting all day to like pass that one person in the hallway and say hi and that little 10 second interaction didn't go how you wanted it to go oh that you would be weak dude just yeah like super realistic and you kind of forget about that as time moves on but like dude everything everything means everything when you're when you're that age and i, and I think they do a, an incredible job of of um of showing that now with with the discussion of like 
drugs and the withdrawals and how they're depicting that dude uh we you kind of hit on this a second ago and i and i think i know your opinion of this i think the the elephant in the room is you know whether or not this show makes light of or glorifies some of the the stuff that it covers like drug use alcohol use teen sex all that kind of like violence like all that stuff and uh i I mean I'll, i'll i'll open the floor up for you but um thoughts there I, I cannot say I think it paints a sexy picture. I think, it, at the very minimum, other media paints a much brighter picture of this existence. Yeah. I think uh, I come away from this show, and I of course it's colored by my own experiences, but it is hyper-realistic as to where this road leads. This is where, living this life, this is where it always ends up, is you in a living room with the people that love you, Dude, everyone thinks the worst part's going to be when, like, your mom's crying and telling you that you're going to die and, like, she's so disappointed. That's not the worst part. The worst part is the the next conversation you see Rue and her mom have when they're on the couch and she's like, whatever. If you're going to kill yourself, just fucking do it. Mm, like, Yeah, and the, which when, they do in that season. Exactly. And, like, when you realize that you've pushed someone who loved you as much to have that freak out from before to this point where they're just like, fuck man, okay, fine. Like, if that's if that's what you're gonna do, that is truly soul crushing, dude. That is truly soul crushing. There's kinda like an ongoing theme. I'll 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 say my answer, but before I get to that, I don't want to forget this point. Um there's kind of an ongoing theme in this show that Rue struggles with where Rue has an extreme level of like self-hate with the the death of her father and she struggles all series about figuring out what does it mean to be a good person and am i a good person um i mean she brings it up to fez at one point uh she brings it up to lexi and then the very last line of the entire season is her quoting her friend from aa what what is his name again the guy Uh, uh, ali ali she brings up something Ali said about like the thing that kind of keeps people going is like the thought of the person they might be or something like that. Basically, mm-hmm. like alluding to like, man, it's all about for her being a good person, and that's what keeps her going. Well, there's a scene where, as you pointed out, where Rue has disappointed her mom another time, and then she, I think it's during the scene where um, they do the they try to do the um, intervention, yeah, and she yells at Jules. Rue yells at Jules, and then finally her mom pulls her aside and says you you are not a good person and you can just see that that's a real what really finally gets to rue that like oh my gosh so crazy but getting back into the the question of like whether or not i think this um glorifies i think glorifies is a really specific term i i've seen shows that glorify certain things um it's not drug use per se but i think a show like next on mtv you remember next where they like have the bus of guys girls pull up and next i think glorifies being a dick yeah yeah it makes you look it shows like it's funny to be a dick to people right um i would say like again this is a um this is kind of a crazy reference but like nip tuck if you've ever watched nip tuck oh yeah i think nip tuck does a bad job of glorifying uh materialism and glorifying like um objectifying people and there's little side plots here and there with um, Troy, Christian Troy, where they like try to show why he's so broken. But I still think it glorifies objecting people and things of that nature. I think Euphoria does a really good job of, especially with drugs, of truly showing how shitty it is to get involved in that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I do. Th- I do think there are certain things that it that it 
glorifies or, or does a better job of not glorifying. Like, I don't think it tries very hard at all to not paint like teen sex as not a big deal. Like, there is the kind of abor- abortion plotline in season one um, with Cassie and things like that. Um, they don't. E- I don't even think they try to tell you that teen drinking is not bad. Like, I, I'll, I I'll tell you really... what they. I'll tell you what the false advertising is. Is let me tell you what, if there is and, – and some teenager, if they're listening to this, can write in and tell me I'm wrong. There are no teenagers on earth having sex as good as these people are having sex. Like <laughs> when you are a teenager, when you are 18 years old and you are trying to have sex, it is the saddest, most unskilled, most awkward, fumbly, in-the-dark shit on earth. These people are like, like doing crazy, like slow-motion – like porn poses and like like they have like lines prepared like the the scene I'm thinking of is when Cassie and uh Nate like they go Cassie moves into Nate's house he says you know you can move in with me while this whole thing right. blows over which is crazy like that's a crazy yeah, fucking insane. move um yeah and they're like having sex and he's and she's just like you can control me you can tell me what to eat you can tell me what to wear you can control everything I do like that is some level. I'm sure there's some guy out there that even at 18 is a broken enough sociopath to to have that's what they want their equally young high school girlfriend to say to them while they're having pre you know teenage sex. But there it it just doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Like there's it just that is such a different level of understanding of how sexuality functions. Like you have to be yeah. a little bit more experienced in my opinion like these are supposed to be and i get it they're all broken like trauma on a level that's gonna take i mean let me tell you all of these people are gonna be fat alcoholics by 28 years old like that is the the end of the road for all of them for sure and i mean dude we're gonna be real lucky if nate doesn't end up a serial killer i mean you're 18 you're taking a fucking by by season three yeah like (laughs) You're taking a loaded handgun into your ex-girlfriend's crib and being like, give me the fucking disc. <laughs> like, just full on doing crazy shit like that. Um, yeah. They there's make a, it by the look... way, there, there's, a, there, there's a frame that shows that he didn't load the gun. Right, right. And, he, just, and side, he says super that. Super side point. He says yeah. that. Uh, but just like the... So he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a good dude. He's a good dude. No, but the... <laughs> They make the sex look really aesthetic. Like, it is incredibly aesthetically pleasing, which I almost think drives the point home that, like, to a teenager, sex is this, like, incredibly motivating, sexy thing that they're trying to achieve. And they, none of the characters understand the consequences of it. And I think that the series kind of tries its best to show that, like, all these people making these decisions based on like momentary sexual desire end up like reaping horrible rewards based on acting on those feelings. Um, Cassie yeah. has effectively destroyed her life. You know, Maddie uh, kind of built herself this like sexual identity around wanting to attract someone like Nate, and that has led to her being in a horribly abusive relationship. Yeah, it's a, a continuous thing throughout the, the series. So I agree with you. I don't think that they – they're not going to go out there and be like be abstinent, which I think honestly is more responsible of them. Like this show, if it's – like there are teenagers 
there are definitely teenagers watching this show, regardless of whether it's rated MA and whether it's on HBO. There are definitely teenagers right. watching this show. And I think what we've seen empirically is that respecting the reality that teenagers exist in, being like, don't have sex, basically just means that they're they're like, okay, cool, there's no information here for me because that's not the world I live in. People have sex. And so being like, hey, like sex is going to happen among people you know. Here's a good look at what is really going on and what could happen if you engage in that from a realistic standpoint. In many ways, I think that's a better approach. I think we've seen you know teen pregnancy rates in the United States come down as we've moved from an abstinence-only principle towards a like, hey, like it's probably not a good idea for you to bang. If you find yourself in a situation where you are, condoms are a great idea. This is what you need to know about STDs. This is what you need to know about pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the show does that pretty well. I, I do. I think it's uh, yeah. much better than other programming I've seen where it acts like, Everything is a whirlwind romance where, you know, you're going to meet your soulmate when you're 17 years old, which is not what we see in this show. Yeah. There, and I I struggle with it because at one part, I I realized that it does a pretty good job of showing you the underside of like all of these different facets. These, like, I don't know if you want to lump them all into like party life. Sure. (laughs) Is that fair? Like, just stuff your parents um, wouldn't want you doing. Like the shit teenagers know they're not supposed to be doing, but they want to desperately. Yeah. Right. Like, I think they do a pretty good job of showing the negative consequence for the most part. Um, I do think, like you said, that they do romanticize parts of it. Overall, I I can say that, like, this this show does a pretty good job of not glorifying it. But at the same time, this is not a show that I think, like, a 15-year-old kid should watch. Oh, no. Just because it doesn't glorify it doesn't mean you should should let your kids watch it. And it's not for them, right? Like, this isn't... No. I I don't think the writers set out to to make an after-school special. Um if no. you're a parent and you're like, I'm going to let Euphoria teach my kid a lesson, you're you're a bad parent, at least for that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what um, I'm saying. Yeah, is I agree just because I agree Just because it's not glorifying, it doesn't mean it's like teaching a valuable lesson about like, don't do drugs. Like, for this sure. is not the method in which I would show a kid that. Um, yeah. They do, I'll say this, Man, these I, kids have access to drugs on a level though, that like, I, that is the unrealistic part of the drugs to me. Like, even when you're a kid, which is when you have the most, like, people you know that are in the game, because as an adult, like, there aren't that many drug dealers unless you're, like, really kind of in a bad place in your life. Like, they can all get drugs super easily. Like, it is crazy how much act... And and they're, like... I have never in my life met the the lorry, okay? Like, the lorry of... The lorries of the world that have safes full of drugs and like super like legitimately dangerous dangerous people that are like one level above the person who they're not letting people that do drugs come to their house they're not letting teenagers come to their house you don't know their name they're certainly not like directly interacting with the fezes of the world that are like some high school kid that sells you know three pills at a time out of his apartment like none of that exists so but i get it they needed to like compress the world so that like the characters could interact without having to go through like five ancillary characters which is what they'd have to do in in real life um also most likely lori in real life works for the cartel that's that's the reality of the drug of the drug world is that people with that kind of uh, of weight are are not alone like that's it's too dangerous to operate like that, and they are dangerous people. They have machine guns, and and they're part of of the Sinaloa cartel. But 
Um, for the most part, I think they did a good job showing you like the duplicitous nature of people in that world. Fez is for sure like the mythical drug dealer with a heart of gold, which is like in every drug story. In real life, those people are not usually very real. Like they're usually an addict themselves at that level, and they're they're dealing to yeah. feed their own habit. But I love him as a character so much that I'm willing to overlook it because I think he's like maybe he's the best character in the show. Um, he's awesome, and I love his little romance with the chick that wrote the play. Lexi. Yeah, Lexi. I think that's like the the most wholesome thing in the entire show. Oh, is, I love it. Them. Oh it's man, so when the final episode when he like had the flowers in the suit. And he oh, so dude, it breaks my fucking play. heart, dude. And like when they're on the phone talking about Little House on the Prairie, and like he's explaining to her that like people post too much shit online and how like. She's like, well, we have stuff in common. He's like, yeah, but not shit you'd post on the internet. Like, we have real things in common. Like, we share, you know, character attributes that you only learn by, like, talking to someone. And I was like, damn, dude. Like, he may be from the streets, but he's a lot wiser than he lets on. Ashtray totally destroyed that. And, I'm man, I'm kind of glad in a way that, like, it's going to sound bad, but I'm glad Ashtray is done from the show. Like, I'm obviously seeing him die was sad, but his... He was acting exclusively as like a plot block where yeah. um, the example I love to give is um, have you ever seen War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise? Dakota yeah. Fanning played yeah. the daughter. Yeah. And is just the most annoying character in the history of the film where like her entire existence in the plot is to scream when things bog down so that the aliens show up. That's, yeah. that's literally all she does the whole movie. She screams like eight different times just to get them to go on the run again. And I kind of felt like if they if ashtray exist continue to exist on the show he would be at risk of being that character that just like all he does is make a really bad mistake and then fez has to kind of cover for it and then it's like oh here's a well, new he's problem a, he's the anchor right like fez can't go be with lexi he can't leave this town and go uproot because he has to take care of ashtray so that's done although you know who knows prison's another big anchor so like we'll see how that turns yeah. out he touched uh fez touched the murder weapon he there's obviously the audio of him yelling ashtray no or ash no before yeah. he stabs the guy so like dude just because uh ash tried to take one for the team doesn't mean that fez isn't going to be like completely screwed down the line i think that's going to be another massive plot uh going yeah. into season three dude and that's um, just another dude, like that's just another attribute of that life is that even if you operate with like a set of morals and like you're a pretty good person you're gonna get tied to these just trash humans like that girl yeah. that lives in his crib who she kind of slowly has this redemption arc of like becoming a, a more nicer person but her and her boyfriend who's like a snitch like that's how that yeah. world operates is like everyone Every criminal says they operate by this code of, like, you know, no snitching and, like, blah, 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 and then they get caught, and then it's like, well, except this one time. Yeah. Then I snitch. Yeah. Like, that's how it always works. Dude, last time when we talked about um, our episode on Station Eleven, and we talked about one of the themes of Station Eleven is, like, the cycle of life and how, like, in, in Station Eleven, things that happened 30 years ago, like, 30 years later would come back and come full circle and kind of, like... I almost want to say like it's it's that that biblical theme of like the sins of the father will carry on sevenfold or whatever. Definitely. Where, and I think that is a huge part of this story. Um, there is literal parent problems with Cal being obviously nuts, but part of Cal being nuts is because of his childhood, which has led to like Nate being crazy and like dude that same kind of family lineage of like abuse trauma carrying down every character dude that discussion um, in the kitchen with his mom so, like the morning after cal leaves the house and nate yeah nate's all happy and then the mom's just like 
yeah, but you're an angry person. And he's like, well, I was angry at dad, not just generally angry. And she's like, uh, okay. Like, I remember when you were a little kid, you were the most loving kid ever. And then I don't know what happened, but one yep. day you just got dark. And I asked Cal, like, did he get hit by a baseball or something? You're like, fuck, dude. Like, That sucks. Yeah, that's just the nature of trauma, unfortunately. I heard a YouTuber say that they were not happy with Lexi Howard getting so much attention in season two. And I... I like despise that opinion so much. Agreed, because... dude. I thought her, and I thought the play was such an awesome device for the last two episodes. I loved oh, it. Yeah. I was like, I found myself. Dude, being the like, finale I was incredible. See... I found myself being like, I want to go see this play, dude. Like, I would, I would go yeah. buy a ticket and watch this shit. It's so good. Although they would and never let you put this on in a high school, obviously. And as soon as yeah. I figured out it was about people in the high school, uh, definitely double no. But it would get shut down after Act One for sure. Like, it, yeah. it is like. But it... It is crazy, like, just how fucking awful these people are to each other. Like, I was sitting there thinking while I was watching the finale about, dude, like, I guess the story's kind of become, like, Cassie's so shitty because she slept with Nate and, like, that was Maddie's boyfriend. But, like, dude, Maddie is such a horrible person, like, from the bottom up. Like, she tells Cassie about that, all that Nate shit and then gaslights her about it when, like, later once she, like, decides she doesn't, she likes Nate again, she's like... I don't know if your brain's fried from all that Molly you were doing, but I never fucking said that. You're just like, oh, you are the worst person. Like, you just won't even eat your own yeah. sins. Like, fuck you. I love that next... Somebody called Lexi's character boring, and I don't think that at all. I think that she fits perfectly into their character web. Like, she's another version of what happens when somebody becomes neglected or when somebody is abandoned. Like Cassie has clear abandonment issues that are like kind of the type a abandonment issues that you think of with girls is like, if they get abandoned by their father, they're looking for a male in their life to like, yeah, to kind of fill that role. At least I'll be as she puts it. Like, yeah. He asks her like, what if everyone, what aren't you worried? People are going to look down on you. And she goes, at least I'll be loved. You're like, Oh girl. Fuck. Yeah. She's very broken, but Lexi has kind of a different, it's, it's manifested itself in a different way where she feels that she's somewhat to blame and there and that hurts her confidence and this play at the end of this at the end of the season was a way for her to like kind of grow in her confidence and learn to love who she is and not feel like she has to hide behind her sister or her friends the whole time and i think it's incredible it's done incredibly well um what was the point you were bringing up at before i before we moved off of and on the Lexi territory. Um, I was just talking about Maddie being a generally horrible friend, her gas, gaslighting Cassie and like being horrible to like all of her friends at some point or another. Yeah. Do we really know what Matt Maddie's backstory is right now? Has that really all, been all talked we really, about All we've really seen is like her, her dad's an alcoholic who just like sits in front of the TV drinking beer. That's her right. mom is like tried to get her off of the Nate thing. And her and her mom have like gotten into these huge arguments where she's been like, her mom is basically like, that's not love. Like, what you're experiencing isn't yeah. love. It's passion, but, like, it's abuse. You're being abused. And she's like, you don't know what love is. Is, what, is that what you want for me? To, like, marry someone who just sits in front of the TV and doesn't talk to me for 30 years? Like, so she's totally fucked in the head over the whole thing, too. And then I also, like, dude, I felt like the relationship between Maddie and, like, the, I can't remember her name, but the lady she babysits for. Who's like the rich lady? Uh, M- Ninka Kelly. What is? I was literally just looking up the actress's name. Uh, the girl from Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And, uh, 
Minka Kelly. Gotcha. But yeah, she. I, I found the relationship they have so interesting. Um, she. Yeah, her name's Samantha in the show. I feel like Maddie like ultimately aspires to be her. Like she even puts on her clothes as this like symbolic gesture of like I want to be you one day. I live in this mansion, and Minka's or uh, Samantha's effectively this like jaded, drugged out housewife who like yeah. married into material prosperity and gets drunk with teenagers like she's not having you know that's not a great life either and so it's like yeah i feel like maddie comes from a place of such chaos and fear of being poor that she can't see beyond just like security so she feels safe yeah. with nate he's large and imposing and he'll he'll fuck people up and the idea of having things things you know physical objects of of material value I was very attractive to her, um, even from a young age. And that, dude, that can go so poorly as you get older. Like, people yeah. that are motivated exclusively by the accumulation of wealth and material status symbols, that turns out very badly. Like, at best, you end up being Samantha, where you do live in the mansion and you, you know, have all this cool shit, but you're like, God, this kind of sucks. And that's the good version. So, yeah. yeah. Maddie's in for a rough time, me, me thinks. Um, yeah, dude, something's up with the Samantha plotline because uh, I think at the end of the show, there's a scene towards the end of the season where it shows that I think um, she got Samantha's purple dress that she took off that one time, like as a yeah, gift. Uh, like, clearly, like clearly, Samantha knows that she has been trying on all her stuff. Like, I think that's the. She's like, I have a feeling you'll like this, and so I think there's like cameras. I guess is the in- inclination. Yeah, there's a shot. Um, do you remember when Nate and Maddie are having their argument where Nate pulls out the gun and there's a shot where it shows Maddie in front of a sign that says, smile, you're on camera? Yeah. It was like really obvious. It took up like half the frame. And so I just like Googled like camera euphoria and I found this. Somebody pointed out that there's a part in where Maddie is in Samantha's closet trying on the jewelry and she gets a phone call. It's like, I'll be home in 15 minutes, puts it down or whatever. And it shows the clock. It's like the clock. And next to it is a little hole. And then next to it is like a red light. And Whoa. it looks like a camera is on. So could be that Samantha knows everything that she's been doing. And for some reason wants to be in Maddie's life. I think, you know, part of me thinks that you, you pointed out earlier, like maybe Samantha. Oh yeah. There's definitely, a lot I, of her- I'm now looking at this picture. Like, that is definitely a camera in the clock. Yeah. Like, it's a very, yeah. it's not even, I, I was literally just looking at the numbers when I saw the scene. I didn't even notice it, but yeah, it's like really yeah. obvious. No, a lot of people caught it. it. I, I didn't catch it at the time, but yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so San, that's that's the third plot line that I think is going to be a big role is sort of Samantha's like involvement. Because Mika Kelly's a pretty big actress, so for her to just be like a, a C plot person is kind of, doesn't really make a lot of sense. So Agreed. Agreed. I think that'll definitely come into play later. But over, um, overall, what did you uh, – so you came in with – I think we both came in with pretty low expectations of this show. Uh, more curiosity than probably expectations, I, I would put it for myself anyway. Uh, coming out of it, uh, you know, how, how much did you like this show? What are your overall feelings? It's hard to put a number on it. I, I We are only in season two. Shows tend to have a way of either like – you know, like Breaking Bad wasn't good at the beginning, in my opinion, wasn't well written in the beginning and then becomes really good. 
other shows like House of Cards are incredible at the beginning and then take a nosedive. So I'm kind of holding out. But I think through two seasons, like I think season one was like a 9.9. I think season two is like a 9.6. Like, See, also I, really I feel good. Like, I feel like I like season two better than I like season one. Yeah. Dude, there's reason to. There's reason to. But um, I, I liked how they fleshed out some of the main characters in season one, and I found Fair. myself... Um, and part of that is because it was like more pilot in nature and yeah. with those pilot episodes, you're kind of like getting a little bit more, it moves a little faster. Um, so perhaps I need to do a better job of grading it on a curve. I mean, season twos and book twos are always hard to do, right? Definitely. So, um, but they do an incredible job. Like do some, I mean, I will say that some of my favorite scenes that have taken place on the show are season two. Um, we talked a little bit about Rue's withdrawal, the scene where she fights her mom finding trying to find where the drugs we talked about this on the chat that was a fully improvised scene which is crazy that so that's improvised. hectic dude so hectic and one again, of the best like, acting scenes i've ever seen she can't again it's like that thing where like in a real if two adults if like if two roommates are having that fight like you're being like dude someone fronted me those drugs i'm gonna get killed but because it's like this weird child dynamic you can't really reveal why it's so impactful that so she's just like it wasn't mine where are they where are, i know you have you know what i mean like so she had to like contain it within the like adolescent container which i thought she did masterfully she's an incredible actress yeah. dude zendaya is just so good like so fucking good she's incredible i mean there's 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 a lot of good acting Sydney Sweeney in particular, I think does an incredible job, especially with her like breakdowns. Like I was wondering this the other day, like I'm not an actor. I've never done classes and things, but I've always wondered if, um, if it's harder to do the really emotional scenes or if it's harder to do like the scenes that have a little bit more nuance to them. But Sydney, uh, and Maddie are both like really good when it comes to like the really emotional, like the fighting or the yelling, they're just like, knock that out of the park in particular yeah and you know uh fez played by angus cloud it's funny i actually thought fez you know sometimes you see an actor that's acting a certain way and then you see their interviews as in real life and turns out they have like a british accent or whatever nope fez in real life talks exactly like fez talks like this is kind of his breakout too he's been in he was in one episode of a show called the perfect woman as a uh guest role called chill dude which I'm sure is the main character of the episode. Um, then he was huh. in a movie called North Hollywood, and then now he's in uh, he's in Euphoria. So this is like his yeah. his first real huge thing. And I like I said, he's he has a magnetism to his character. I I really thought um, he was like a totally fine drug dealer character that I liked. And then as soon as we got to that party where he met Lexi and they sat on the couch and talked all night, and then he like very politely excused himself and then beat Nate's ass. I, I instantly, I was like, Fez is the best character on the show. Like this shit rules. Yeah. What's your, uh, I mean, I know again, I do want to talk about some of the other characters, but you want to drop your rating real quick. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just gonna, it's pretty much the inverse of yours. The first season I'm giving like a nine, five, nine, six. And then I think this season, especially dude, those last two episodes are so fucking good. I love the idea of using the play as kind of like a self review of the, all the characters with them watching. It's like the most meta shit. That's such a bold choice to make as a writer to like rewrite the history of your entire character's worlds from the perspective of a single character who hasn't been the main character and then put on that 
story in front of all the other characters and have them kind of react to it in real time. Brilliant. 9.9. Like, incredible. Dude, season two, the finale, it it has, like, gotten such polar reviews. Yeah, I've heard people hated it. I couldn't believe it, dude. I can't believe it because, okay, I mean, think about the things that happened. Like, Cal got arrested. He's going to go to jail probably for some child porn charges. Like, basically the, I wouldn't say the truth finally comes out with the whole Maddie and Cassie thing, but it kind of comes to a head. And, dude, the scene at the end where Maddie tells Cassie, like, it's just getting started, referring to, like, the thing with Nate is just getting started for her because Nate has that magnetism. Like, that's incredible. And then, dude, Rue finally, like, being able to see herself as human and getting to kind of rekindle with Lexi. And, dude, they're pretty explicit when they talk about this. Like, Lexi is, she's kind of the other side of the coin with Cassie when it comes to, like, dealing with abandonment, but she's also kind of the other side of the coin with Rue when it comes to dealing with the loss of your father and things. And I think that I think that Rue and Lexi are going to be really close the next season. I, I almost wonder if uh, Jules is going to get pushed more to the side. Like, I, I don't think that um, – I think his name was Chris or Christopher, the football player. I, yeah. I don't think he was in season two. I watched everything so fast. But I wouldn't be totally, totally surprised if Jules got – pushed out or wasn't in season three as much but i'm i'm probably wildly wrong there jules is a good character so Um, yeah they've done an incredible job it's the i thought that was also really well handled the showing like a very realistic growing apart of lexi and rue um even through just like the fast forward motion of the play of like you know rue starts to do drugs and like lexi tries to kind of keep up with her she smokes weed with her but she's just like and they have that scene they're outside and she's like i don't think i like weed uh, I can't control my brain like I normally do. And she's like, yeah, that's the best part. You know what I mean? You can just yeah. see where their values are so wi- starting to like wildly diverge. And then on the day of her father's death, she reads her this poem, like really tries to connect with her. And you can just tell that while Lexi's instincts are to try to like process feelings through like thought and understanding, Rue's desire is to like, evacuate those feelings like get away from them right take them out of her and she found a way to do that through through narcotics it's it's powerful stuff man it's really good one of the things that i think is really cool about the way that they've structured the characters in euphoria is i feel like there's a lot of shows that will present high school cliques as being very um what's the word i'm looking for like uniform across oh, yeah. the board like everybody's very similar like the jocks jock, and the socials, the yeah, exactly. Right, and Mean Girls kind of a little bit flips that on its head. Where like in, in the beginning of Mean Girls, it shows these like four girls that are look the exact same, kind of act the all the same. But then when Lindsay Lohan's character gets involved, you, she starts seeing the major, major differences in all four of them. I think Euphoria does that even better, where it shows that within high school groups, even people that are very similar, like from a distance, you probably would think that. Um, Cassie and Maddie are, are like the same person, but they're nothing alike. And then even further, like in high school, dude, you'll have friends that you were really close with in middle school or early high school that you drift apart. And we're kind of, we've kind of come to this friend group about halfway through the, them kind of drifting apart. Like they're all becoming different people throughout high school. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Like I think this, that they reference at the end of this season that, um, Zendaya's character says I stayed clean the rest of the school year and right now it's their junior year of high school so I kind of have a theory that this show is going to be four or five seasons and 
the next I th- I think they're just going to do senior year as the next two or three seasons. Yeah, I agree. Um and then by the end of it I think they'll be completely drifted apart. That's kind of just a shot in the dark, but I could see them doing that. I think it's a really unique and cool interpretation of what a true high school friend group looks like where you've got a few people that are really similar and then you've got a few people that are kind of outliers that under other circumstances might not really be part of that group like I was a little bit taken back by seeing just how close Rue was with all of them and how they all love Rue, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, I, even at our own high school, um, I, I'm sure many people at their own high school could have something similar to this. But, like, there was a group of girls at our high school that in middle school were really close. And there was ten of them. And they all lived in the same neighborhood. And they had, like, a moniker. Uh, it was the neighborhood name Ten. And then over the course of, like, the first couple of years of high school, like, a couple of them were kind of, like, cut out or drifted off or whatever, and then they were the Magnificent yeah. Seven, and then this name kept changing as they, and by the end of it, there was literally three of them, and they were called, like, the something three. Like, so I think that that huh. is, like, a very natural, common, especially, I, I you know, I do not want to claim uh, intimate knowledge of the female experience, but, like, having had a sister... High school and, like, the developmental years of adolescence are so hard for girls because they there is this, like, very real mean girl phenomenon where, like, they are incredibly ruthless to one another. And I think their conflicts are so much less, like, visceral. Like, like as, as guys, like, if you have beef with somebody, you can kind of, like, fight them or you just kind of, like, don't mess with them or whatever. Like, yeah, it felt like a lot. It's of... much more like territorial where it's like, I'm exactly. either going to resolve this right now or it's like, I'm not going to like, we're not going to impose on each other. We're going to stay of each other. Exactly. Way. Whereas like, I knew so many girls in high school that just like would pretend to be nice to someone for years and like secretly hate them. Yeah. Like, you're, so it's just yeah. like a totally different dynamic. It's a lot more political, I feel like. Yeah. Like, or it's, or a lot more like, like almost like spy games. Yeah. Where... Just like Game of Thrones, like spy versus spy yeah. type intrigue court intrigue so yeah it's i think they're doing a great job depicting it i like it a lot other other characters i think are going to play a big deal um i really liked i really liked ethan um ethan was kind of a control character i thought where he was basically the most normal person on the entire show by a gazillion dude i felt so Uh, bad for him the breakup scene was just horrific oh, he handled it like a like a true king though he, was he, just he like, really okay, did well i can like, tell you're lying it made me hate that chick so much how she handled that she tried to pull out yeah, all God. this like she tried to pull out like every i have like special disdain for people that try to like take on actual issues that other people have and like really bad things that are happening in the world and wear it like a temporary defense against criticism and like it it yeah. definitely cheapens it when it's a real thing for other people. Cause now like even in, even by having that happen in the show, I know there's going to be some asshole somewhere that's going to be like, Oh yeah, right dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like when some actual girl that actually has those issues says that, um, right. And that's, that's a real thing that happens. And so like, I oh, it made me hate her so much instantly. I was just like, and like the, I have a, I have a brain disease that's going to kill me. You're just instantly like, Oh, you're the worst kind of person. Like, just a coward an absolute coward but yeah ethan rules he's a good guy i think you know elliot's not a great character but he does do he does serve an important purpose with kind of being the plot device of being there for rue anytime that she wants to get back into drugs because elliot is a druggie himself and is totally cool with letting rue do drugs with him um he's truly down for whatever in all aspects of life he's just like yeah whatever dude i'm down 
I'm, uh, I'm down. Yeah, um, we didn't talk too much about Jules, even though she's a super important character. She's clearly, she acts the most normal, I feel like, of, of the main characters in terms of, like, she's very nice, like, is not, yeah. like, outwardly is not going through a whole lot, but, like, there's a lot of scenes where it shows her, like, challenging her femininity femininity like and just like you know you can tell she's dealing with a lot of like identity and just kind of oh yeah seeing where she fits in this world and um it's that's kind of why like every time nate comes around you're just like dude stay 10 million miles away like yeah and i mean i I, I do not trust nate i think maddie calls it out well she says like half of life is is confidence and the great thing about confidence is that no one can tell when it's real or fake and jules is a great example of that like yeah. She she seems like she has it so figured out and together. She seems like she has really made peace with who she is. And in many ways she has, but we obviously like when you're dealing with that like deeply entrenched identity crisis that is going through a transition so early in life, like the fallout from that is incredible. The the trauma that we saw from her childhood early on in the show, that's going to reverberate forever. Um, and then just like the normal high school relationship drama, like when shot through the prism of all those issues is going to be so complicated. So, yeah. Yeah. She either she says this in the show or their actor, the or Hunter Schaefer says this during the interview. I forget where it was said, but talked about like realizing that a lot of what they're going through is just uh realizing that it's not a destination it's a process and i think that's so true with like literally everybody like no matter what kind of i think everybody deals with that at some point is feeling not feeling good about who they are or where they're at in life and it's like realizing that like dude even if you get to the point you think is great right going back to maddie and her relationship with Sam, uh, samantha um it's like you think that's what you want like and then you become samantha and, and you're still longing for something else like i think desire and just like dealing with trauma is just it kind of plays into that as being to just say the whole theme of the show but yeah and i I was just gonna say i think you know something that got like was very powerful for me personally when i was dealing with addiction and i think we see in this show is the idea that like you know my mom always said to me this too shall pass like when bad things are happening this this too will pass no matter how bad it is but the inverse of that is that when good things are happening like this too will pass like even if everything seems to be going great, like winter comes eventually. So there's just no static in life. Like you you don't ever arrive somewhere and be like, all right, cool. I've I've accomplished it all. Like I I am in my final form and I'm just going to ride into the sunset as I am today. Um, You know, the weird nature of, we talked about this on a different episode where like, you know, if you replace every plank of a boat, is it still the same boat? And that's the nature of being a human is like, if every cell of your body is shed over the course of seven years, you know, you're a completely different physical human after, you know, a decade, like, are you still the same person? Yeah, it's bizarre. So I think they're going through that. And it's not until you're a real teen, like I think like late teenage years are where you first start to even display anything resembling an actual independent personality up until that you're kind of just an amalgamation of like people around you and your parents and things you've seen on TV and, and trying to like, like put together some kind of personal identity can be really, really challenging, especially for someone not, not equipped to do it. So yeah, we're watching that be, and, and it's masterfully performed. So dude, the last character I wanted to talk about before I, before kind of just like want to get into some overall stuff is, uh, 
do the fourth character that follows around uh, Cassie, Maddie, and Cat is that girl who I don't even think they name her, who just has like the overbite and vapes. And yeah. it's like is like yeah, Maddie. Like it's always just like cheering them on. I don't know why, but I just love that artistic choice to just have that character be around and just be a support valve for those girls. And and she's only there when they're acting really shitty too. Oh yeah, she's, she, all she like she has one line in the last episode, and she's just following. Uh, she chases as the fight's going on between Maddie and Cassie. She's just like fuck her up, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> it's just them. affirms all it's... their worst tendencies. Like, yeah. Dude, oh, I it's love great. it. It's great. Um, it's so funny. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about the writing, particularly the structure. I did, as you said, want to give a shout out to, first of all, let me start with the music. Dude, I, I wanted to go find on Spotify a, 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 a euphoria playlist. Cause I think it does a good job of like having music that to me anyways is new and, just like fits every scene they're in but then also they've got some uh they'll do like quasi throwback rap like rap that came out like five or six years ago and i heard somebody be like see they're not even in touch with the youth because they're playing this old rap and it's like dude you think if you went to a house party they would only be playing music from 2020 like well, no like, they would be playing like the the one person that listens to like brand new rap music is elliot they get in the car like when they go do the beer run and they go to the gas station and steal the the white claws they get he jumps into yeah. the car and as they're driving away he's listening to baby keem which is like so on brand for a kid with face tats in high school to be like oh yeah it's baby keem you probably only heard the song with kendrick dude you're probably not up on him like that kid is exactly like that in real life so i loved that choice i i think all Did you see the, the tweet today about robert pattinson listening to baby keem yeah set. oh yeah and, he, and, <laughs> and then the video of like like <laughs> the penguin getting chased and then all of a sudden out of the fire it's like the young nutty's playing yeah, it so <laughs> robert good. pattinson's so flying good. down it's. Uh, I, I think it. sonically the show is so well done. Um, even beyond just like the score, but like the ambient noises and like kind of like wordless sound they choose. Yes, uh, is so well done. It's a it's a whole experience. I really do. It's one of the only TV shows that I've really thought actively recently. I'm like, this would be great to watch on like on a big screen with surround sound because like yes, it's an aesthetic experience that kind of like touches all your senses while you're watching the show. You know, the, the acting's great, the dialogue's great, but, like, the shot selection, the sound design around, like, how they choose what sound to accompany what image, and the color palette they use for, for different periods of time, like, um, especially, like, all the, the drug-related scenes, like, when they're trying to, like, get you into the headspace of someone who's, like, slightly fuzzy on reality is just so well done. Dude, it's it's so good. It's, uh... Yeah. It is, I've seen so many, like, so many YouTubers that I like are, are, like, amateur filmmakers, and they just drool over this show. Like, they just cannot get enough of, like, how it is put together from a technical perspective. Dude, there's a few scenes that come to mind for me. Um, one is when Rue is holding her bladder when she's going through a withdrawal, and she finally yeah. goes into the bathroom. But then when she opens the door, it's, like, a, a, an all-white cathedral with, like, a choir and stuff. Yeah. And, like so cool and then the other scene that i'm thinking of is there's a scene where it's showing um and dude this is all intentional it's not just like for look like it's it's accomplishing a super good purpose from a writing perspective like dude there's a scene where it's showing jules and and rue like kind of like talking to each other and listening to music together and then it does this thing where it starts to kind of i don't know hopefully i can describe this well like you're you're looking at them from overhead and then it's the camera starts to kind of like 
fall to the side and then you realize oh the camera is not falling like they're kind of rotating right yeah they're they are rotating below the camera almost like um like a fun house or something like that and and as they rotate you see a different scene it's clearly a different scene they're still in a bed but they're wearing different clothes and you know one scene they're kind of like staring at each other and talking really close and then it follows them again and they're like smoking weed together and then it falls them again and they're getting closer and then it falls them again and listen to music and then it goes to the last time and you like see them start to kiss and it just show it's like without nobody you know you don't have to have rue or somebody narrate like yeah we hung out for a few weeks right. and then we we came more in friends it like shows you beautifully through like just incredible directing and filming and all everything that goes into it just that it happening organically like you don't have to be described what's happening you can clearly see the passage of time agreed i loved the juxtaposition during the the during the play in the final two episodes i loved the juxtaposition of the the real world events that the play is based on and the play's rendition of those events um the scene where lexi and rue are sitting on the roof together and then it like cuts to behind them and it's looking out the audience is there and you're like oh they're not actually on the roof this is the plays rendition of that same incident like so many things like that are so well done um i loved the scene in the play where lexi is describing her fantasy of being hot like her sister and they have the like hallway on a roll that like rotates and all the actors just like come from like stage left across the stage to stage right and then come back around over and over again and she's just walking in place like down down dude, that that was about the time when i was like dude if this was a real play this would be the sickest high school play dude, of all oh, time it, like it edges on non-believability because the production value is so fucking high but it's so good and i love how they keep interspersing it with lexi like threatening to fire the lighting guy and like freaking yeah. out about the production because it's so good, but but like you know because Lexi's character is very um, reserved, and I I yeah. kind of took that as I th- I thought it was a little over the top at the time, and I but I kind of was like, well, this is like Lexi kind of growing into her own. I heard a different perspective that I thought was interesting. Is somebody was like, if you've ever been in film in high school. That's what happens. Like people, like the most reserved people, get a taste of power and they start bossing everybody around. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, hearing that fair. perspective, that makes it a lot more like reasonable stuff. And she did do acting in high school, like I'm sure a lot of these did. Like Matt Mod, so it makes makes a lot of sense. It was awesome, dude. I I'm I'm sad. There's no more, dude. Uh, they're not coming out with another you know, season until 2024. To... Isn't that crazy? I know. I crushed season one, which totally spoiled me, and then I had to wait every week for season two, and now i got to wait, like, two years <laughs> for season three. Man. So it's just, like, a longer and longer thing. Why why, but, why are they waiting that hey, long? Have you read? I, I have not. I didn't really look into it. I, I assumed it's that a lot of these actors have gotten a ton of really positive attention from the show and that now scheduling becomes an issue funding becomes an issue they're probably i mean zendaya alone is hard to she can do anything she yeah wants. her like, um, there's not really a major actor that does a poor job um so, dude i forgot zendaya's and i took this is how much stuff she's been and i forgot she's in dune i was like oh yeah, yeah she's in dune yeah <laughs> yeah she's a great man she really is uh She's killing it, man. I didn't even realize she's been doing stuff for like a, a while. She started acting in 2011. Oh. Yeah, which Disney Channel has produced some some huge bangers, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nickelodeon tried to do the same thing, and they picked the wrong horse. The 
Nickelodeon had a show where they tried to produce their own teen stars, and they bet on I can't Victoria Justice. Yeah, we talked about this on one of our other pods. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And and meanwhile, this the sidekick to Victoria Justice was fucking Ariana Grande. Yeah, and they were like, ah, who's gonna want to listen to Ariana Grande? Yeah. Well, it turns out when you sing like Mariah Carey, that helps. Yeah, and you're super good looking and date Mac Miller and yeah. Skeet Davidson. Yeah, Skeet. No God. Or what is that? Fine, 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 fine God. God. Um, man, so uh, predictions as to what you think is going to happen next on the show. Do you have any? I, I, I would like to think that we're going to see, uh, first of all, I am kind of convinced that they're going to set like, they're going to end the show on their own terms. Like, I don't think this is a, an infinite show where it's like season eight. No, I don't think so either. Euphoria. The actors are too big. I would be, I am kind of expecting them to do season three as a little bit longer, like maybe 12 episodes and have it be the end. Like senior year is 12 episodes long. And I think what we're going, and here's, okay, if you really want me to like really be technical. Yes, I want to be technical. 12, 12 episodes it's the 12 steps of sobriety and each episode corresponds with Rue taking one of the steps. So like in, in the fifth episode, she will make amends and she will go through. And then the final step is to like your continuing journey of sobriety is to like go out and do good for others so that you can continue. And she's going to like, that's going to be her like moment of ascension where she's like, I'm going to college or whatever. So Uh, here's my, my kind of, and I think Ali, I think Ali and her mom are going to end up together. That's a good, that's a good take. Um, I think that a few things are going to happen. Um, I think this is going to be at least four seasons. And my reason for saying that is because, Euphoria season one was really popular, but Euphoria season two is where it's really popped off and become like a cultural icon. Like it's inescapable. It, like no one, no one's like, "What's Euphoria?" Yeah, Euphoria season one, it was kind of like a show that people were watching, but it wasn't a phenomenon. Like it had, it had um, like seventeen million. I might be getting this wrong, but it was like seventeen million or eleven million people watched Euphoria when it aired during the Super Bowl. Which is an insane number. Um, I mean, it's like the meme culture. Like, dude, memes do a number on, like, what is being driven. Like, the number of Game of Thrones memes that were going around, Game of Thrones was huge. Like, Euphoria is highly memeable right now, and I think that's driven a lot of people to watching it. I think it will continue to have people watching it. I think this two-year hiatus could do either really good things or really bad things for the show. Um, I hope it does really good things. The reason I think it's going to be more than three seasons is because... A show, even HBO, who's of the streaming services, is probably the most like artistically. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, yeah, they take the most chances for sure. Yeah, like, and they're the most like um, they put art before maybe the dollar, as opposed to maybe yeah, other. They're definitely artistically inclined like, for sure. Hulu is the worst at that. Hulu sucks ass and has all the ads and stuff, and like they're the other end of the spectrum. Um, and I could see that, but even with that being said, like, dude, I don't, I can't see them planning for there to be only one more season in the height of the hype i i I feel like they might do four and then i think uh because i think there's some major plot lines that still have to play out i think that we're gonna see a spiral out of control from nate and i think that's gonna take a lot of time to flesh out if they don't have that motherfucker crash crash in flames i'll be disappointed because like he effectively has had like zero real consequences to his 
very out of control actions. Like he is a total psychopath. He has like hit women. Like he's he needs to go down in flames. I hope he gets killed. Yeah. Like, I hope they figure out a way to pin Mouse's death on him and Lori wax him or something. Yeah, I think so. I, this kind of goes to my my predictions. I think Lori's going to be a huge deal next season. I think Fez's yeah. legal troubles is going to be a huge deal next season. I think Elliot is probably going to still be hanging around and cause problems for Rue. And I think that plus the fact that we still have to get Nate's thing fleshed out. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Eric, if we see a Cal Jacobs, like the, the father. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he is still in the mix. My kind of. How dark was, how dark was the, uh, he didn't care about his dad, but he did care about his dad's business because Nate didn't know much about real estate. But he was pretty sure no one wanted to buy a house from a pedophile. Yeah. You're like, fuck, dude. Yeah. Cal's kind of like when he gets drunk and he dances with that guy at the bar, and you see it's kind of like his backstory. Uncomfortable. And then when he goes back home and has that whole breakdown in front of his family, like, dude, that is like, oh, that was a crazy and sad scene. Like, oh my gosh. And then the older brother is just like, what's going on? Like, so confused yeah. the whole time. And Cal being like, if I had gone to a strip joint tonight, and fucked a, a, a perfect 10, you'd be one-fifth as horrified as you he's are not right wrong. now. Like, oh, no, he's not wrong at all. Like, But it's just so horrifying, dude. Yeah. Um, my last prediction is uh, I think Zendaya's going to die. And that, I, don't, I really don't have any evidence to that. Wow. I could just see. No, I could totally see I it. See I totally it. See it's like Breaking like, Bad. It's like the spiral... As the spiral continues to get worse, like sometimes it just gets worse, and that's how they. I can see them ending it that way. She she definitely hasn't shown a because here's the thing, like that question of am I a good person? That's very common. Like I went through that whole thing, and some people never see their way out of that. Like I know people that have been to rehab twenty times that are still on the am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Thing. Um, for me. The only way I logiced my way out of that was that I decided that if I was truly a bad person, I wouldn't even ask that question. I decided that truly bad people don't give a shit if they're a bad yep. person. Like, it doesn't register in their brain if, like, th- their actions hurt right. others. And so I decided that, like, if I am having pain, internal turmoil over doing bad things, all I need to do is like, clearly I know what the bad things are just listen to the voice that tells me those are a bad thing and then I will be in much better spot. Uh, so yeah, it could definitely be that like, like Rue is being tortured by that, but we haven't seen her like find her way through those woods yet yep. and it could definitely eat her alive. She's she's self-destructive for sure. I'm super excited Dude, her trying to steal Fez's grandma's pills, I was like, oh, yeah. Rue I'm so excited to see that. what happens, dude I love the characters in this show I love everything about it, man. It's 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 so I, good. I, I, I almost it's feel so bad good. that I'm ending on such a general note, but it really is that good. Well, Andy, as always, thanks for for joining this conversation and with your insight. This has been really appreciated, man. Yeah, man, this has been awesome. I I'm so glad we kind of both found this show. This was one that we I don't think we expected to do an episode on. We didn't. Ex- I don't think I expected to like before it before we found the show. But yeah, it's great. Anyways, as always, this is a novel discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. Peace. Peace.